You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, Midtown family. It's great to be together meeting this way. I'm grateful for the ways that God has protected and provided for us over these last seven months. I can really see his protection. God has been with us. Um, I do see a few new people here, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as our associate pastor here at Midtown. Uh, really thankful that you would join us today via Zoom and hope that one day we can meet face-to-face in the very near, <laughs> very near term. We're going to continue our teaching series that we actually started last week in the book of Ephesians, but we're going to look today at a prayer that Paul actually said that he was praying for the Ephesians uh, themselves, praying for that church. And I think the prayer will have a lot more meaning if I actually go back and tell a little bit about the history of this church in Ephesus and how it was started, it would have made sense to uh, have, since we just started the book last week, it would have made sense to have told about the history of the Ephesian church last week. But when I was preparing for this, I really felt like the context for this prayer would be really good for, uh, for providing context for this prayer. And so I asked Jake, I said, can I tell the history instead? And so he was, he's a nice guy. He let me do it. So I'm going to get to tell the history. I love telling the history of this because I've actually been there. I've been to Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Um, great, great spot. I was there in 1994 as a missionary to uh, college students there in Turkey. And at the very end of our trip, we had the, the team got to go and actually have a um, time to go to visit all these historic sites, many of which are the places where the apostles actually wrote letters, including Ephesus was one of the places that we got to visit. And the second reason why I really love the history behind this church that Paul's writing is because the way it started. Uh, You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. So I'm not going to read the whole verses here. I'm really just going to read two verses for you. But really encourage you, if you want to get a context, you've got to read Acts 19. It's a really crazy story of all that God did uh, in the city of Ephesus. And Paul and his companions did what they normally would do when they would come in as missionaries to a city. They'd go to the synagogues. And in the synagogues, they would try to talk with the Jewish background uh, people But they found out that when they were doing that, it wasn't working. No one was interested. And so it says instead what he did is he went to what was called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus, which was like a modern-day college. He went to a college, and he was a campus minister. Jake's showing a picture here. This is actually the Hall of Tyrannus, where so much happened in in Acts 19. And so I got to visit it and take a picture there. That was a leader of our missionary team speaking to us in the very spot that Paul and his companions actually spoke to the people. And it says something amazing happened. What's amazing is that you get to verse 10 in in Acts 19, and listen, listen to what it says. It says, he took the disciples with him. They had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that the Jews and so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? In two years, everyone in the province of Asia, which would be modern day Turkey, everyone heard the gospel. Everyone. He's real specific there. He's going to say both the Jews and the Greeks. He means everyone. The whole country heard, the whole province, in this case, uh, modern-day Turkey, heard the gospel. Isn't that amazing? That's like the fulfillment of our vision. When we say we want to see the day when every man, woman, and child hears the gospel from someone who loves them, it happened in the province of Asia in a two-year span just because Paul was teaching at this college. I love that story. In fact, it goes on to say, if you were to continue reading Acts 19, that so many people put their faith in Jesus, that they turned from the idols that they, that they had worshipped. The whole economy was flipped on its head. 
because Ephesus actually had this temple to a goddess named Artemis, and the people from all over the province of Asia would come and gather and worship there. And then they would, they would buy from these craftsmen little idols that would be part of their worships and their ceremonies. But so many people had come to faith and started following Jesus, they actually burned their idols and it flipped the economy. So much so that the people who, the craftsmen, got so upset about it that they forced them out of town and threatened to kill them. Now, I want you to hold this for just one moment. This is how the church started. You got to read it. It's an incredible story. Like they were on fire for God and God had done amazing things in their lives. Now hold that. That's the first time that we hear about Ephesus, Acts 19. Then we've got this letter. Now I'm going to take us to the last time, the last thing that we hear uh, about Ephesus. And it's actually the Apostle John in the book of Revelations, the last book of the Bible. Jesus appears to John in a vision and he says, he tells John to actually write some letters to seven different churches. And one of them was Ephesus. So this is the last word we hear about Ephesus, it's Jesus telling John to write this note. He says, I know of your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So Jesus looked at this church in Ephesus so many years later after the story that I just told you in Acts 19. And the last thing he says to them is, yes, you've been faithful in many ways. You've persevered trials. You've distinguished between good and evil. You've not been corrupted by the world. You've been faithful to the truth. You have right beliefs. But what did he say? but you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. Your mind is right, but your heart is not. And so we ask them to repent, to turn to him, to love him again with their hearts, not just their minds. So let me ask a question. Can this happen to Christians today? Could it happen to us individually? Could it happen to us even as a church? Of course it can. We can believe all the right things, we can do the right things, we can say the right things, and still have a heart that's far from God. It's, it's called religion. It's, it's settling for religion over a real relationship with a God who loves us. It's called being a Christian moralist. Christian moralists believe all the right things. They, they do all the right things. They can say all the right things or spout the right doctrine. But you could be a Christian moralist and have all that right, but have your heart be far from God. What Jesus said to the Pharisees in his day and what Jesus told John to say to the church of Ephesus, I think he could rightly say to us. In Mark 7, uh, 6, this is what he said to uh, the Pharisees. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This can happen to us. I believe that Jesus could say this to many of our religious leaders of our day. Um, I believe he'd say it to many Christians, and I know that because he said it to me. (laughs) In fact, this time last year, we were just starting our healthy habits, and and one of the habits that I had picked was that I was going to try to memorize scripture, and this was the very first one that I memorized because I felt like when I read it, God said, yeah, that's, that's you right now, and I want to get your heart back. And so I spent the fall 
reading lots of verses about the heart and trying to pursue loving God with my heart and not just with my head, not falling into the trap of Christian moralism, but actually having a live, vibrant relationship with God. I don't want that for me. I don't want Jesus to say that to me. Uh, You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. And I definitely don't want that for our church. And Paul didn't want it for the church in Ephesus, which is why he's going to kind of give them a little insight into a particular prayer that he had been praying for them. Not just once. He says, this is a prayer that I constantly pray for you. Knowing that that's the way that our hearts can go, knowing that he was there to see them walk with God so strongly at the first, he's going to intercede and pray this prayer. We'll pick it up in Ephesians 1, uh, verses 15 through 17. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now here's his prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He's praying that God would give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know God better and better. Paul's primary prayer for the church is that they would know God better and better. It's really important to point out here that this uh, word know in the Greek language means more like personal experience. It doesn't mean information, knowing things about God. His prayer is they would actually experientially know him. That's what he's wanting for them. And he knows that if they were just to slip into just having right beliefs about God, but not actually having a relationship with God, he didn't want it. And so his primary prayer is that they would have this experiential relationship with God and know him better and better year by year by year. Now, you know the difference between knowing information about someone or knowing them, right? (laughs) Uh, forgive me if you've heard me tell the story. I think I have told it at Midtown before, but for me, it's actually like, it was like the, the most perfect illustration of this concept of knowing about versus knowing someone. Uh, some of y'all know I'm a big UT baseball fan, and this story involves Roger Clemens, who is a very famous you know pitcher. And uh, if you don't know, Roger Clemens' uh, boys actually played for UT, as did Roger. And for a couple years, he actually sat one row ahead of my seats. So he was just sitting right there in front of me. I shook his hand once, said hi, but tried to leave him alone and let him watch the game and, and watch his sons. But the funniest thing happened one time when these guys that kind of snuck into the seats next to me, and they, they were sitting directly behind, behind Roger. And then Roger, Roger's son comes up to bat. And I think they'd been drinking a little bit. They, they started laughing with each other. And they, they said, oh, that Clemens, is that, you think that might be Roger Clemens' son? And then they literally, they tap Roger on the shoulder and they say, hey, do you know if that's Roger Clemens' son? <laughs> he politely says, uh, Yes, he's one of his sons and just kind of turns his head back around, smirks. My friend and I are cracking up. We're going like, this guy clearly does not know Roger Clemens. But what if I told you because I sat behind him, I actually really do know him. I could, I could say, you, you might say, well, how? What do you, what's he like? What do you know about him? I'd just say, oh, well, you know, he helped lead UT to a national championship in 1983. And he was drafted in the first round by the Boston Red Sox. He played 24 years in the major leagues. He had seven Cy Youngs, 11 All-Stars, once he was the MVP, two World Series championships, um, and then there was that kind of that thing about steroids that we don't need to talk about. Yeah, you would look at me like, okay, uh, you don't know Roger. <laughs> you know a lot about Roger. That's not the same thing, is it? Is it possible that we do the same thing with God? 
It's important for us to know a lot about God and believe the right things. Don't hear me say that that's not important. It really is. It's just that God wants us not just to know stuff about him. He really wants us to know him. He wants us to experience him and have a relationship where each year of our lives, we're getting to know God better and better and better. And that's what Paul wanted for the Ephesian church. He didn't want them to later have Jesus say to them that you've forsaken your first love. He wanted them to have an experiential relationship beyond just knowing the right things. A group of my buddies that I spend Labor Day with uh, at this last Labor Day, we decided we're going to start reading a book together and we kind of chat over group me about the book. And it's a book called uh, Pursuit, uh, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And in the first chapter, he describes how so often Christians and really the church focuses solely on just getting people to believe in Jesus for salvation, but they don't really talk about continuing to call Christians to pursue God, to continue to get to know him. Because faith in Jesus is, and believing the right things about him is important, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so here's what he writes. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. And we're not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God uh, to our spirit. We've been snared by the coils of false logic, which instead that if we found him, which, which insists that if we found him, we need no more seek him. The stiff and woody quality about our religious lives is a result of our own lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. He's saying, like Jesus said, like he said to me last year, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are are far from me. Paul was praying that this wouldn't be true of this church that he loved and he helped start. He's praying that this church would, would first uh, experience their first love. Remember their first love. Know not just stuff about God, but actually experience God and know him better and better. That's the first thing Paul prays, knowing what he knows about this church. He's going to pray a second thing, though. He's going to pray that they would have the, the ability to know the riches of the inheritance they have in Christ. His second prayer, he says, I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul first prayed that they would know God in an experiential way, and now he prays that they would know the amazing things that they have inherited in Christ. God wants them to be amazed at the hope that they have to spend eternity with God, eternity with God's people. He wants them to constantly be learning and meditating on all that they have in Christ and everything that comes from our inheritance with him. What he's doing here is he's actually building off what Jake shared last week. And if you didn't listen to last week's sermon, if you weren't here, you have to go listen to the podcast. It was so good. It's it's the longest sentence in the Bible where he just rambles and rambles of all the things that we've inherited in Christ, which is so much about what we find in this book of Ephesians. As Jake said last week, the phrase in Christ is mentioned 27 times within this book. What Paul is wanting them to do is to remember the hope to which they've called in all the things that they have in Christ. In the previous verses, we learned that we've been chosen, we've been forgiven, we've been made pleasing to God, we've been redeemed, we've been adopted, we've been washed, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we've been promised the hope of eternal life. What Paul's trying to do here is get their eyes and their hearts. He's praying that they would be open, they'd have revelation to meditate on all that we have in Christ, this idea of inheritance, that we are now his sons and his daughters brought into his family, and all that is his is going to be ours and is ours already. 
I like the way the Apostle John, uh, he's, he's one of the ones that talks about God's love so much. He says something pretty similar in John, uh, 1 John 3. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him will purify themselves just as he is pure. He's using Paul in Ephesians uses the word, the riches. He just keeps talking about the riches of our inheritance. Uh, John uses this word lavished on us. He's just, he's lavished us with love and he's brought us and adopted us into his family. And I love this part here. We know not yet what will, what will be made known. We don't yet know exactly all that God has for us. We just get pieces of it. But what we do know is that when we see him, we will be made like him and we will see him as he is. As Paul was praying for the Ephesians, John was in that letter calling believers to dwell on the amazing love that God has for us, that he's adopted us into his family. This is our inheritance, the hope to which he's called us. There's something really powerful about anticipating our future and our inheritance. I find it kind of similar as when we plan vacations. Isn't it fun to have something that you know is on the horizon that you know is going to happen? Um, as some of y'all know, Brenda and I have a, a pretty fun tradition for our wedding anniversary. Uh, each year, one person plans a trip and keeps it a secret from the other one the entire time. And so the, non, the non-planner literally doesn't know where they're at until they land, or maybe usually you end up finding out on the plane. In fact, Brenda and I just got back from our 19th anniversary on Friday, where we got to go to uh, Whitefish, Montana and visit Glacier, Glacier National Park. Had a wonderful time. It was great, relaxing. And it was my year to plan. She got surprised. Now, I know some of you can't handle this. You're like, no, I could not do that. <laughs> that would not work for my marriage. But, but here's what I love about it and what I think it actually reveals to me about what it looks like for us to look forward to the inheritance that we have in Christ. When I'm planning the trip like I got to do this last time, honestly, I feel like God in a way. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> what I mean is that I have someone that I love so very much and I have been planning something so glorious and so great and crafting something for her. And then when I'm the non-planner, when she's the planner, I feel like the church because she's the one that's crafting something. And I feel like the church that just knows that we're going to go somewhere great. I don't know exactly what it's going to be or where we're going to go, what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be awesome because I trust Brenda. who's planning the trip. She knows all the details and I don't need to know them because I know that she loves me and she's planning something great that I have an inheritance, so to speak. And what's more important, what's more is it doesn't really matter where we go because the most important thing is I'm going to be with the one that I love and that we're going to be together. That's a glimpse, an imperfect illustration of what it looks like, I think, to taste what Paul's praying for the Ephesians here. He wants the eyes of their heart to be open to see more clearly all that God has for them, all the inheritance that's coming their way. And when we see the riches of our inheritance, our hearts are moved to respond in love and draw near with our hearts. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul was praying that this wouldn't be true of the church in Ephesus. He was praying instead that they would forever be in wonder and amazement at all the riches that they have in Christ and they would long for it. He's pointing them to a future, but in his third prayer and final prayer, he's actually gonna point them to something in the present. 
He prays that they would know the power of the Holy Spirit inside them. In verse 19, continuing, kind of going back, he says, I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the incomparable great power for us who believe. The incomparable great power for us who believe. Paul's third prayer is that the eyes of their heart would be open to see the power that they have presently in them. He's praying that as they experience God, knowing him better and better, they would know his dwelling power within them. And while Paul doesn't specifically talk about the Holy Spirit in these verses, it's very clear that he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit overall, because if we just jump to the verses right before we picked up in this prayer, we're going to be in verse 13 and 14. He says this about the believer, one of the things that's part of their inheritance. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So Paul had already pointed out that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The second that we believe we're sealed and it's promised, it's guaranteeing what's to come and guaranteeing this inheritance. Yet it's not just for future. There's a present power that we have. And if you were to, we, we're not going to go into it, but you'll see as we continue to walk through the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the power of the Holy Spirit for believers. He's talking about how we can be filled with the Spirit so that we can live a godly life in the book of Ephesians. He's talking in chapter four about how we're filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can have gifts and we can go out and minister to others. Even in chapter four, he talks about how we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And we can actually grieve the Spirit. And so there's a sense that we've already been sealed with the Spirit. We have. The second we put our faith in Jesus, we're sealed with the Spirit. But what's afforded us now is we can constantly be refilled with the Spirit. If you were to go back and read Acts chapter 19, you would see that the Holy Spirit did some very, very powerful things in their first encounters that really helped start the whole church in Ephesus, some really wild miracles. They experienced the power of the Holy Spirit when Paul was with them for those two years. And so what he's praying for them is that they wouldn't forget it. Not only that they wouldn't forget it, that they'd experience it and live in the power of his Spirit so that they could both be made more like Christ and so that they could minister as Christ's representative. In fact, he actually gets so excited about speaking about this, this power that he kind of goes off on a little tangent. He said, like, here's what I've prayed, but then something triggers when he says power, and then he starts kind of preaching about this power. I know uh, Jake was telling me one time that he had a, a youth pastor who he would like close the meeting in prayer, but like halfway through the prayer, he'd just start preaching again. And so he didn't know, like, are my eyes closed? Are my eyes up? What am I supposed to do here? And then you get a sense here that that's what Paul's doing. He starts talking about this power. And then all of a sudden he just said, he just starts going off. We go on verse 19. Again, the prayer before this, that you would know the incomparable great power for us who believe. And then that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule or authority or power or dominion in every name that's invoked, not only in his present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul gets so excited about speaking about God's power, he actually ends up using four different Greek words to describe it. He uses power and might and strength and exertion. He says the power that we have available to us through the power of the Spirit is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And as he's praying for the Ephesians, he's praying that they would live into that power so that they could walk with God for the rest of their, their lives, 
becoming more and more like Christ until he calls us home. And he's praying that we would know the power of the spirit so that we can then do what Jesus does here, where he fills, it's his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, that we would be his sent ones that fill the earth and fill out and build up the body. We need this power. We need this power for our own holiness and our own walk with God. We need this power to do ministry. That's how we know and experience God in this first prayer <laughs> that we would know God better and better. We know God and experience him by experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christian moralists, they don't know the power of the Spirit. They do things on their own strength for their own justification rather than being moved by the love and power of God to love the world around them. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Paul was praying that that would not be true of this church. What he was praying instead was that they would experience the powerful life of the Holy Spirit within them, making them more like Christ and using them to reach the world. To conclude, this nearly 2,000-year-old prayer is just what we need to pray today. It's what we ought to be praying for our church and for each other. And as we start up this new ministry year together, Let's pray that we just don't honor God with our lips. Let's pray that we would love him with our hearts and that we would know him better and better, that we would dwell on the riches that we're going to discover, all the riches of Christ that we find contained in this book of Ephesians. Let's dwell on them and let them move our hearts to worship him. And let's not grieve the spirit, but let's walk in the power of the spirit that God has given us, that we can live a new life and that we can be used by God to love and serve each other and love and serve Austin with God. Let me pray the same prayer uh, for us right now. Let's pray. Father, I pray this uh, timeless prayer for our church. I pray that you would give us wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better, that we can really know you, not know about you, but know you. Give us, God, that spirit of wisdom and revelation. We crave it. Give us a hunger to know you better and not just to know things about you. I pray too, God, that we would know the riches of our inheritance, that we dwell on all that you have for us and our trust in you would grow and we would grow in our own joy and confidence of all that you've done as you've adopted us into your family and all that you have promised for us in eternity. And I pray, God, that we would know the uncomparable great power of the Holy Spirit living within us, that we would step out in faith and, and minister to others and see your power run through us, and that we would call upon your power to live a life that honors you and becomes more and more like Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.